This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, season eight, episode 18. I'm John DiCarlo, and I'm joined by Javon Edmonds this week. No one else gives a damn about us, but... It's fine. We don't need them, right? Caden, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, listen, we're we're the voices, you know, of this podcast. Just to, just like, you know, Eddie and David were the voices of the Classic Five group of the Temptations. As long as you got those two, you're fine. Those two went off and became a duo later on. And now it's just me and you as a duo. That means we're dead, right? <laughs> no, we're, we're, wait, uh, we're wait, not Eddie, dead. Wait, David Ruffin is dead. Eddie Kendrick. Oh, no, both of, both of them are dead. But All like, right. no, me and you are not dead. No, right. No. We're, <laughs> we're, 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 we're very much alive and recording this podcast. Yeah, I think we've got when did they start recording songs together? We, we've got 20 years to live now if yeah. if our timeline matches up with theirs. Ooh, well, let's yeah. make it count. Let's make it count. Special guest on the scoop next week, Smokey Robinson. <laughs> big, big Temple sports fan, unbeknownst to uh, most people. Nah, I don't know. Anyway, got some more stuff to get into, some Temple hoops, some Temple football, plenty of mailbag questions. Javon, how are you doing, first of all? I didn't I didn't stop and ask you how you're doing, even though, have I seen you most of the day? Yes, I have, but I still want to ask so our listeners know, how are you doing? You know what? The semester's coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Got to go home for two days. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll call it two total days mm-hmm. uh, for Thanksgiving. Kind yeah, of the reset about, I needed. Tell us about tell us about the Thanksgiving feast because when we it was Wednesday night, I was running an errand. I was at the beautiful Coles and in, in Havertown, just off of Westchester Pike. I called you and you were in the middle of preparing a feast with your mom and you gave me the rundown of everything you guys were making. And it was it was staggering to me for two people to make that. Give give our listeners the rundown of like everything that you guys made. Well, you know, we've got a system down packed where I just prep everything on Wednesday night to the point where like all my mom has to do is her final seasonings and mm-hmm. then just put it in either the oven, the crock pot or on the stove. Uh, this year was cabbage, collard greens, cornbread, dinner rolls, turkey, honey glazed ham, uh, uh, crab cakes mashed potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes, there candied yams. Too? We didn't do the salmon cakes this year. Oh, I was a little bummed out, but <laughs> the, the crab cakes were like a little extra special this year. Like they, yeah. I don't know, they tasted a little better than they normally do, which is hard to do. So I was okay yeah. without the salmon cakes. Uh, am I missing anything? Of course, the mac and cheese. Just the sheer volume of all that. Like, where, like, how logistically, how do you, do you guys have like a double oven? Like, how did this work? Like, surface, what, like, surface wise, the stove, like, that's a ton of stuff to make without any help. Like, how did you guys pull it off? We have a, a turkey roaster. Like, okay. one of, we have a roaster that we put the turkey in. Okay. We have a crock pot. Okay. We have an oven and we have four burners on our stove and we just make it work throughout the day. Wow. And we always eat between, like, we always eat during the four o'clock football game. Yeah. So we make good timing. And we wake up and start cooking around nine. That's impressive. That's really impressive. So you prepped everything the night before. Yes. I spent, oof, I spent hours prepping it and then just talking to my mom and stepdad. Like, I didn't get to sleep until three, four o'clock in the morning, Thursday morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I got back. I got back home around noon Wednesday, mm-hmm. and then I didn't go to sleep till like 4 a.m. And my mom, like, I, I normally wake up at 8 o'clock and go straight to work with my mom, like, just start cooking everything. And she let me sleep in until, like, 11. Like, I woke up. Like, she came to wake me up. I'm like, Mom, it's 11 o'clock. Why didn't you wake mm-hmm. me up already? She's like, no, you needed some rest. That's nice. And I, I felt so loved in that moment. Oh. Got That's up, cool. took a shower, and just went to work. There you go. That's incredible. 
That's uh, that, that's impressive. That's a whole. That's a very very impressive list of of stuff, especially for like two people to cook. We had, oh, and stuffing. Oh. Can't forget the stuffing. Oh yeah, stuffing's the best. I think it's the best side dish. We had stuffing. We had mac and cheese, a green bean casserole, a sweet potato casserole. I guess my mom made the green bean casserole and sweet potatoes. We had regular mashed potatoes, stuffing, turkey, mac and cheese, um, the little rolls, the little, I don't know, those little mini like Hawaiian, like those little mini rolls that you can make sliders on, um, cranberry sauce, the turkey, uh, apple pie. You know what I didn't have? Lemon meringue pie. My, uh, we had, I didn't have pumpkin pie. My brother and sister-in-law brought over lemon meringue pie and apple pie. No pumpkin pie. I think I need to just like go get a pumpkin pie this weekend just to have some. Didn't have any. Did you guys have the sweet? Did you see sweet potato pie already or no? We had sweet potato and we had apple. Okay. Is there any sweet potato pie left? No, there isn't, unfortunately. So also, the I think not, I won't say the highlight. My So my, my dad's a big mac and cheese guy. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting on him to like text me, like, "Hey, make sure your mom makes me some too." Mm-hmm. And like, I never got that text. So I'm like, "What's going on?" And then I find mm-hmm. out he got a new plug for mac and cheese. Some dude that he works with made him a whole pan. John, it was great. Oh my goodness, really? <laughs> I, I I fell in love with that mac and cheese. Like, oh man, yeah. What was and different about? I, mean, I don't know. It was just. The perfect amount of cheese, it like it was just the perfect amount of cheese. And it's nice and moist. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too, t- it wasn't like too crusty, but it wasn't too soft. Like mm. it was just great. Oh man, it was great. Be just like the meal that we're gonna have prior to tomorrow's basketball game, right? Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, let's let's go grocery shopping and just have an owl scoop feast catered by me. <laughs> just walk in. Have Larry Dockery look at us like, uh, what are you guys doing? Like, just get that pizza out of the way. We've got some better stuff. We cook for everyone. Yeah. Wow. That'd be good. Missed the first half of the game because we're just in there just just eating, rejoicing in food. Yeah. Bad idea. I think the staff would hate us because they'd have to be the ones to put all that food up while we go to work. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be fun. Um, Well... Before we get into hoops and football here and the mailbag and uh, everything we have on the slate for you guys for the podcast, famous number 18s, what comes to mind? Peyton and Arch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peyton and Archie. I gotta Outside go with, of that. I got to go with my favorite baseball player growing up, Andy Van Slyke, the Pirates. Played briefly for the Orioles. The I Phillies feel the like Orioles. Played with Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla. And those those three those pirate teams that went to the NLCS three straight years in 90, 91, 92 and could not get to the World Series. And how were you still in Pittsburgh by then? No, we were in Downingtown. I my dad was born in Philadelphia, raised in South Philly and Grace Ferry, but he became he became a Pirates fan because of the time that we lived in Pittsburgh from 81 to 86. And all the Pittsburgh teams were in the toilet. Like the the Pirates would draw. I'm not joking, like maybe 5,000, 6,000 fans a game at Three River Stadium. So you could always get great tickets there. And so my brother and I growing up, we're like, okay, we're from Philly originally. We're Phillies fans. But my dad just latched onto the Pirates. And then when we moved to Downingtown, I didn't necessarily stop becoming a Phillies fan, but I started watching those late 80s Pirate teams. And I liked, you know, pre-steroid Barry Bonds and Bonilla and Doug Drabeck and uh, Jim Leland was their manager. They were great. So I was, when they lost all those, those three straight playoff series, I, I was bombed. I was like, I remember the, I think it was the 92 series where Sid Bream scored and, uh, Francisco Cabrera, I think got the hit. I thought my dad was going to cry. I remember him just turning off the TV and just saying, all right, go upstairs. It's time for bed. So, but Andy Vance, like I love, he was, he's a number 18 that I think of, I feel like I'm drawing a blank after him, after Peyton Manning. Yeah, because I think I am missing like, oh, didn't Dave Collins wear 18 for the Celtics? Maybe, sure. I, I can't remember. I, I have to double check because I could have swore Dave Collins wore 18. Um, Yeah, he did. 
Um, AJ Green used to terrorize. Oh me. yeah, yeah. AJ Green, Daryl Strawberry, Daryl Strawberry. Yeah, AJ Green had some some. Well, yeah, good games against everybody, but against yes. the Ravens. But he used to just kill the Ravens. He like he just woke up with murder on his mind when <laughs> it was Baltimore week. So, yeah. Should uh, a solid list, right? Yeah, solid I mean, list. you want to throw Randall Cobb out there? Yeah. Here we go. Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon stole. Stole third base against the Phillies when nobody was looking in that 2009 World Series. I was at that game. Yeah. Jeremy Macklin wore 18 for the Birds, yes, did. didn't he? Jeremy Macklin, yeah. Then played with the Ravens, too, right? Yeah. Good, good, decent stint. Yeah. It's good. If anybody, if we forgot anybody, let us know next week. We'll own up to it. Uh, since we last recorded, this Temple basketball team of yours has – uh, since since that forgettable game against Richmond, Temple has won two games. The Owls beat Drexel on Sunday, and they beat LaSalle Wednesday night in the Big Five doubleheader. Javon and I were recording this on Friday evening, so by the time you're listening to this, whether it's Friday night, Saturday morning, the Owls will be taking on VCU, former A-10 foe. So I, I think that the, this version of Temple basketball that you're looking at until further notice, you know, Kyle and I were having this conversation and saying, like, can we keep having the same conversation every week about this Temple team? And, you know, are, did they blow their chance in that large bit already? Are they going to improve? What do you make of this, Javon? I mean, like, they, in both of these games, you know, forgettable first halves, especially against LaSalle, and then in the second half, they put it together. Looks like they averted a bit of a disaster when Jamil Reynolds got banged up against Drexel. Obviously not a serious injury. Came back to play against LaSalle. Again, it, uh, not so good first half by any means against LaSalle. They're, they're trailing 29-21 and then come out and outscore LaSalle 46-22 in the second half. They had that 19-2 run to finish things off. I'm of the opinion that uh, you know, I think that the best they can hope for now is that they keep getting better and that they are maybe truly a team that's just learning bit by bit to play together a little bit better. So Caleb Battle gets 22 against LaSalle. Dame bounces back a little bit more, six of 13 from the field. Uh, missed all three of his threes, but, you know, six points, six assists, was a bit more of a facilitator. Only had one turnover, which is a plus. 13 turnovers for the Owls in the game, but Dame had 17. Caleb Battle had 22. Jameel Reynolds had 10. Fran Dumfries' Latale team played hard. I mean, there's less. I don't think we're breaking any news when we say Dump does not have as much talent to work with as Aaron does, but they competed. They played hard. But um, I saw Jameel Reynolds pass out of a double team at, at least once to, to Zach Hicks. So, um, again, it's a it's a 16-point win over a LaSalle team that's going to be struggling this year LaSalle's three and four temples now evened up at four and four what do you make of these last two games from what you saw again certainly far from perfect basketball but they they grabbed a couple of wins they especially in the LaSalle game figured it out in the second half what do you make of of what you've seen from this team since the last time we recorded good second half of the of the LaSalle game I was, you know what? I got you. Let me not be negative because there actually was two like very positives, uh, two positive takeaways from these games. Mm -hmm. Drexel, Jamil goes out early with that upper leg injury, mm -hmm. and they put together like a 15 0 run to close out the game. Mm -hmm. KB gets in foul trouble in the second half against LaSalle. Mm -hmm. And that's when they actually put together stretches of offense and pulled away. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're able to go on runs without their two best players mm -hmm. is a very positive sign. Mm -hmm. Now what it is, like the next step for Temple now is how do you consistently go on those runs with your best guys on the floor? Mm -hmm. It just seems like they don't start pressing the issue and playing their best basketball until, until they feel like they have, they have to. to. Yep. Now it's about, and that's a, that's a mindset thing. Mm -hmm. It's about them flipping that switch and developing you know, emotionally and maturing emotionally and understanding this needs to be all game. The turn it on, turn it off stuff, only when you feel desperate has to stop. Mm -hmm. it, but then it, it's a good start to see that they can operate without their stars. Yeah. 
Another guy I want to ask you about who seems to, again, we're still talking about a relatively small sample size after eight games. We've seen some good stretches of basketball from this team. We've seen some bad stretches of basketball from this team. Nick Jordan seems to be finding his footing a little bit, I think. I think he was huge, you know, Saturday in that, in that, that second half, 13 minutes, hits all of his shots, three of three. Uh, I mean, missed three free throws, but five boards, four blocks, seven points was a big part of that 19 to two run. Uh, when, you know, KB was in foul trouble, they, they seem to be able to adapt. And again, we've talked about him trying to find his role. Does he want to be a guy that hangs around the perimeter more? Does he want to be in the paint more? Is he communicating on defense? I mean, they talk about that a lot. Like we need to find our voices. We need to communicate better. I'm encouraged by what I've seen over the past couple games from him. Do you feel the same way? Yes. He's understanding. He's starting to understand his role on the team. Be the small ball five, be the versatile defender, be the guy who uses his height, his length, and his athleticism to get some easy baskets around the rim. Don't do too much with the ball in your hands. Pass, screen, and cut. That's your role. And he's starting to excel in it. And that's what coaches want, right? Guys who excel in their role. So Nick's going to keep getting himself more minutes, especially now that the staff, I haven't talked to any of them. This is just my speculation. I think they're starting to come around to my theory of Nick's a better option than Core. And you're starting to see Nick get more minutes and Core's minutes decrease. And you're starting to see Nick play more small ball five. Yeah. yeah. Like when when uh, Rokas Yosic, who by the way, I got to take my hat off to Fran Dunphy for that. That freshman out of Lithuania. Yeah, it's a pretty good like, find for them. Finding him in it's such short time to put that roster together, diamond in the rough. That guy can play. Like He's going to be maybe second team All-Atlantic 10 by the time his yeah. junior year comes. He, he, he'd get Jamil on the block, not bothered at all. Just take his time, hook shot. Face up, barely get off the ground, mid-range, good. But like that guy... I was a fan of watching him play. Yep. Yeah. And again, I mean, they look, I mean, we, we talked about this last week. Fans, Temple fans can say what they want. A lot of Temple fans were ready for Fran Dunphy to move on, but he was still a very, very good coach in his time at Temple. Won a ton of games, a lot of NCAA tournament appearances. His teams generally played with a ton of energy, both ends of the floor. And they, you know, they played hard and had an eight point lead in the first half. And again, I mean, player for player, pound for pound, Aaron McKee has the better roster, but, you know, kind of what you'd expect out of LaSalle. They played hard in pretty much every game they've been in this year. But, um, yeah, he's a guy that stood out to me as well. And now um, you're bringing in a VCU team that just in time for Temple, uh, we'll get to this guy a little bit more in, in a second. Ace Baldwin's back, a, a player that, that Temple recruited at one point, a very good point guard. He scored 28 points in their win over Vanderbilt. He used to have some great performances in the Black Cager Classic. Mm -hmm. like yeah. he, he used to dominate that event when he came up here. Yep. Yeah. And it's a pretty good, you know, VCU's five and two overall. They've won two in a row. I want to ask you a little bit more before we get into scouting them a little bit more. What does Aaron do now with – what would you do if you're him? Or are you expecting him to tinker with the lineup at all? Like, would you keep – would you keep bringing – Jaleel White off the bench as he recovers from, you know, whatever minor knee injury he had. And, you know, he figures out his place in the offense. Again, I, I don't think we were looking at this season. We were looking at Jaleel White. Yes, if you're Temple, you're hoping that Jaleel White starts to shoot the ball a little bit better, which he hasn't. Uh, or does Aaron sacrifice defense in, in, at the start of the game and bring him off the bench? Or do you bring Jaleel back into the starting lineup and bring Zach Hicks off the bench like he did last year. Now Zach played a little bit better in the second half, knocked down a few threes that were that were game changers. Do you think we'll see a change in the starting lineup on on Saturday, or do you think Aaron will keep keep things as they are for now? I go with the same rotation that they put out uh, against LaSalle. If I'm Aaron, because you were able to keep Jalil out of foul trouble and have your best defender on the floor at the most important times of the game. Mm. I, so I think you continue to bring him off the bench, especially since, you know, offensively he's not providing a lot, 
you know? And then defensively, like, there's a way to bring Jalil off the bench and still play him tw- north of 20 minutes per game. And that's what you need from him, right? So uh, just looking at the way the game went out and how the whole season has progressed, I don't think you bench Zach just because you don't want to start messing with your shooter's confidence. Um, so I, I'd say, yeah, keep Jalil as that, that sixth man, a, a very valuable guy who everyone knows could start on your team. But for his own protection, you save him for the second unit. Mm-hmm. Let's look at this at this uh, this VCU team that Temple's facing again. They're they're five and two overall. They've won two in a row. Again, a couple a couple of names here that Temple fans uh, might be familiar with. Again, uh, Ace Baldwin. I'd say a little bit earlier in his career, uh, Temple was recruiting him. Uh, he's uh, you know he's been very very good for them. Um, what do you what do you think of in this in this matchup again? If you're you're either listening to this, um, you're either listening to this, you know, Friday night or Saturday morning, a team that seems to be hitting its stride early on in the season at the at the right time. You know, Ace is leading the team in scoring again. You know, a, a seven game sample size. Ace Baldwin's averaging seventeen point three points per game. Uh, Brandon Johns eleven point six points per game. They're their only uh double figure scores Jameer Watkins another guy out of I believe Trenton Catholic a, a player that the Temple recruited for for a little while uh kind of a versatile wing for them so I mean they're playing some pretty good basketball right now what do you what do you what do you see when you look at BCU what do you look at uh, we know the things that have plagued Temple that the second half collapses now again over these past couple of games they have not collapsed in the second half they've turned it on when they've needed to we'll start with Ace Baldwin again I didn't even realize I don't know how I didn't realize it. He's a lefty. What is that? If it's if it's Fabe guarding him, I see a Miller, anybody else. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. What what challenge does that actually pose to a defender? Is that a little bit more than people realize? I hate guarding left-handed people. <laughs> like with a passion, because you you literally have to do everything the opposite way that you're used to doing it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason. It really kills you. People think it kills you on the jump shot. It doesn't kill you that much on the jumper. It kills you when they get to the rim. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the way you're conditioned to position yourself, you're so used to guarding right-hand contests. And I know people like go left. But like with lefties, they just know how to draw fouls in the air. I don't know what it is, but they just do. And it's just staying out of foul trouble with lefties. That's mm-hmm. so tricky. Um and you're just going in a different direction than you're used to going all game long. So, and then when you're when they're guarding you and they're pesky like Ace is on defense because he is just annoying on defense. There's a reason why he has that Joker mon- like moniker and that mm-hmm. Joker tattoo on his leg. Mm-hmm. It, he loves being annoying. So now when you're dribbling right, you're going to their left. So now they have their strongest hand and their quickest side reacting to your to your dribble. And it's easier for them to steal the ball from you. It's lefties are a basketball players nightmare. Uh, so you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how High Seer and Jalil and Dame and and KB deal with it because it's it's going to be a fun matchup. Another guy, and again, he's I don't know that he'll be much of a factor in uh, in Saturday's game. Uh, again, this roster has, uh, like I said, a few players at Temple recruited, whether it's Ace Baldwin, Jameer Watkins, Christian Furman, another guy that that. Temple had recruited has kind of played sparingly so far forward for for VCU. He's played in four games this year, not a not a ton of minutes, a shade more than twenty minutes this year. But interesting matchup for the Owls. We've got a, a ton of mailbag questions that we'll we'll get to now um, in in keeping the basketball conversation going. But um, maybe we'll tailor one of them here. We got a. If we're gonna go with one here from the screen name again. These are Owlscoop.com subscribers. Uh, the first one comes from the Hick, and the Hick always sends us a hefty amount of mailbag questions. And when I've asked him which one do you want us to answer, in the interest of time, he'll usually say to to pick one. So we'll go with this one. How can coach, meaning Aaron McKee, how can Aaron McKee maximize the skills of Damian Dunn and Caleb Battle to get them easier buckets and free up shooters for in rhythm looks at the rim? So I, there are a few things going on with that question. In rhythm looks at the rim. Better ball movement, better offense. We've talked a lot last week when we we're talking about this team. It's they're not winning. They're standing around too much. We'll kind of 
take this question to mean or kind of amend it. If we say, hey, how can McKee maximize the skills of Dunn in battle? Stop right there. We've been talking a lot about how does this Temple team learn to maximize what they can get of both Damian Dunn and Caliph battle. It's either one's going and the other's going. They they have not done a good job of working off of each other. It's one half of basketball. It's one game, but I don't know. Is is the is the the Wednesday win over LaSalle when when Caliph gets 22, uh gets into foul trouble. Uh, but Caleb still gets you 22 points, hits four of eight from three. Dame does not get any of his points from three-point range, but gets you six rebounds, six assists, gets 17 points. Is that encouraging enough to say, okay, maybe that's part of the blueprint of what it looks like when these guys are playing well together? Is that is that evidence that this can – I mean, obviously it can work. They're two good basketball players, but to kind of take this mailbag question run with it a little bit, how do they get them to play together? Was did you see I, some of that on Wednesday against LaSalle? I think the way I formulate this, and it's a you gotta play some mind games on those two. Mm-hmm. You start both of them, but one of them has to be the first guy like to come off for the six man too. Mm-hmm. Like you, you start both of them, whichever one is the hottest one through those first, what would you say? Give them six minutes. Through those first six minutes, mm-hmm. bring out the coldest one. Like even like, and I don't mean they're throwing up bricks. I just mean like the other guys clearly on that night. And then just keep bringing them on and off. And then for those last four minutes of the game, it's like okay, y'all see how each other's played this game. You guys have your confidence in each other up. Mm-hmm. Now go play together because it seems like that's whenever Dame and KB go off, it's. They didn't share the floor together for most of the first 36 minutes. Mm-hmm. But those last four minutes, they're on the floor together and their confidence in each other is sky high and they're just playing off of each other. I just keep mimicking that type of strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one off topic question here on the basketball message board. Screen name is Mike TB31. Is there a more overrated holiday food than white meat? I, I, I tend to agree with them here. Like I... Zach Gelb, our buddy who works at CBS Sports Radio, WHIP alum, Temple grad, loves talking about how much he can't stand turkey, his family. He has an Italian part of his family. They have lasagna on Thanksgiving, which is more than my Italian family ever did on Thanksgiving in terms of Italian food. But yeah, I I think white meat, I'm a dark meat guy when it comes to turkey. I do think that White meat, I mean, if a turkey is really, really made well, there's nothing like it. If it's dry white meat, then I'm like, yeah, I have to like smother it in gravy. My wife and mother-in-law did an incredible job with the turkey this year. It was good. It was savory. It was fragrant. It was it was awesome. But I am a little bit more like dark meat type of person, sides, stuffing, going back for leftovers. But yeah, I, I would, if there's a more overrated holiday food them white meat i don't know what it is what do you how do you feel about that i'm with you um i can't eat everyone's white meat mm-hmm. um like so my mom packed me a good little pear package pear, mm, care package excuse me of thanksgiving mm-hmm. leftovers for when i came back to school mm-hmm. and like i look she packed me ham and i'm like come on mom you know i don't eat pork like <laughs> whatever <laughs> and she packed me some turkey mm-hmm. and she always forgets i'm a dark meat guy so like mm-hmm. she packed more white meat than dark meat and at first I was mad. It's like, damn it. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot. My mom actually knows how to cook. Like her turkey is moist yep. all the way through. Yeah. And like I warm it up and I eat it. And like it just tasted just as moist as the average person's dark. Good. Meat. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be forgetting my mom can actually throw down a turkey. Um, down turkey. Like everyone else, I'm like, Oof. just give me a leg or a wing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then we'll go from there. Unless I really trust you. Uh, but my mom, it's yeah, no. Whatever you want to slice up and give it to me, just give it to me. But no, that 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 observation is spot on. There's nothing more overrated than white meat turkey. I agree. Next question here. The screen name is TU Al's fan two thousand four again from our basketball message board. Got a lot of people on Twitter talking about the lack of attendance and interest at the Big Five doubleheader. Is the city series on its deathbed? What do you guys think can be done to jumpstart it if possible? Is it just simply programs need to start winning like they used to? Yes, they need to start winning like they used to. Is it 
you know, a lot of people were talking about the crowd or lack thereof in the Temple LaSalle game. You you, you were there, Devon. You had you know, talked about how it started to fill in a little bit later. I don't think that the big five and these programs help themselves by playing at 6 p.m. on a Wednesday. I do think that you probably get a better crowd if you play this game on a Saturday. I know that, you know, Mike Sielski's job as a columnist at the Inquirer is to elicit some thought, agree, disagree. But yeah, I mean, I would, am I willing to say that the big five is dead? I don't think it's dead, but we're kidding ourselves if we say it's what it's it used to be. And there are a lot of different factors. I mean, I enjoy hearing people talk about, you know, the guys, the fans that are older than me who say, oh, I used to take two subways. I used to take the trolley to the palestra and hop off. And it was just, I used to sneak in all the cliched stories. Yeah. But so much has changed about the landscape of college basketball. People have heard this. This is nothing new. As soon as Villanova won a, a national championship in 85, they started beefing up their schedule. City series games became less of a priority. It's attendance is down everywhere. I mean, none of the big five teams, including Villanova, are playing great basketball right now. I mean, if you looked at the first half of that Temple LaSalle game, it was ugly. It was not a great brand of basketball. There was no flow to it. There wasn't. You're not watching that game sitting there thinking, glad I came here for this. Now in the second half, it picked up. I think it's a little bit of everything. It is. The, the, the teams aren't playing well. I think you get a better crowd if people are there on a Saturday. I mean. I'm not. I, 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 I'm, I'm not letting Temple off the hook. I understand you want to play all your games at Leo Kors, right? And and once again, I'm going back to the, you know, be more critical of the staff and less of the players conversation that I had earlier this year. This is one of those moments. I understand you want to play everything at Leo Kors and, and you're worried about getting students to pack that arena. Number one, you're not doing a great job of that. And John, you and Jeff Nyberg, uh, Nyberg, I always pronounce his name the wrong way, and I feel I really terrible for saying it. Um, but like you and Jeff were clearly pointing that out at the Villanova game. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll go a step further. Like, not only are you not doing a great job of getting people at Leah Coors or the link, but like, I don't want to hear the excuse of since it's not your home game. Don't promote the game at the Palestra. Like, mm-hmm. I get it. Like, we, we've we been told the prices LaSalle were trying to charge Temple were, you know, just a little bit absurd. Cool. I'm not saying you go out there and help facilitate the purchase of tickets and bus kids to the games or whatever. Whatever. But you have a whole marketing department, a whole social media department. It's a game at a historic venue that means something to a historic rivalry of your school. And to make it even like in the storyline of the game itself, before you consider that, was student versus teacher on yeah. the coaching side. There is no reason for you not to have at least a social media campaign of folks. Big game at the Palestra. You know what the Palestra means to this rivalry. Go show up and go show out. You don't need to post a link to the tickets or anything. Hell, you can even post a link to it. But, like, at least make your team know. Like, you're st- at least let your student athletes know that you're there for them and you care about trying to get fans in the stands. The fact that the student section was non-existent, is an, it's an embarrassment on Temple's behalf. And granted, I know my generation is the very worst fan of, of sports that has ever existed. There's no loyalty to teams. They don't care about history. And they see no problem with jumping back and forth to teams with players. They think players matter more than franchises and organizations. Mm-hmm. I get it. My generation stinks. However, <laughs> you know what you're working with. You could have at least promoted this game like, hey, at least come out to this, man. That's all I'm saying. Like, the student athletes need to feel like their fan base is behind them. So help them get their fan base behind them. There's a little bit more to your job than worrying about the money. You've got to worry about the morale of your athletes, too. So I I really think both schools dropped the ball. And if they were playing better basketball, I'm pretty sure more fans would have come. But, like, the fans who are mad at Temple for the lack of marketing, like, people are mad at each school for the lack of marketing. Each school deserves blame. But our priority of coverage is Temple, so I'm going to focus on that. 
the fans who are mad at Temple's administration for their lack of promotion of this event, they have every right to be mad. Mm-hmm. And and I do think the administration needs to look itself in the mirror at, on this instance and like, come on, you got to do something better here. And that's just across the board with attendance, period, because mm-hmm. it's, it's starting to become embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Next question here from Park Al from the Basketball Message Board. Two questions this week, one philosophical and the other X's and O's. First one is, if a tree falls in the forest, but the only person close enough to hear it is an Al Scoop poster, so enveloped with posting apocalyptic reactions to an eventual 16-point men's basketball win to notice, did the tree make a sound? That that made me laugh just because he, he, Park Al, I can only assume, is if you follow one of the one of the game threads on our on our message board, it's just possession by possession. This team stinks. This is an embarrassment. And then when they start pulling away in the second half, great win. So uh, definitely got to kick out of that one. Second question, we talked about Nick Jordan a, a little bit earlier. What is holding back Nick Jordan from being a consistent contributor? He seems to have matured, no tax this year, but his output is lacking. Well, I would, so to answer your question, Pargal, again, Small sample size, but I think he's starting to turn the corner a little bit. Like I, I, if I'm gonna try to be a little bit more optimistic this week, again, the team still has a ton of flaws. That almost everybody on the team has got stuff to figure out. KB, Dame, Nick Jordan, Isaiah Miller, Zach Hicks, everybody. But I, I would be encouraged by what what I've seen from Nick Jordan, and I agree with you, Javon. Again, like I'm still. As a human being, you, you root for core John Cooch to, to to get better. I don't think that again, I don't think the staff ever hyped him up to be this great offensive presence. He looks uncomfortable on offense, but they wanted him to be at least able to be able to score on lobs and around the rim. But I agree. I think that Nick Jordan, there will be different matchups throughout the year, of course. But I think Nick's looked good over the past couple of of days or excuse me the past couple of games and if and if he's starting to find his stride i think that he could potentially be on his way to being a consistent contributor and being a consistent contributor might mean who cares if he only scores six or seven points if he's swiping seven or eight boards and he can be your small ball five and he's blocking four shots and he's being a rim protector then that's all that stuff becomes contagious so i i think that he might be again two games. I think he might be on his way to to doing that. And I do think he seems to have matured. He's a, a sophomore. So I don't know. Am I wrong in assuming that? I think with Nick, it's just about not trying to do too much. Once you start excelling in your role, not trying to do too much to build, um, build off of that. Uh, something Caden and I just like figured out today. Corey Yonkic, uh, I'm going to ease up on him because I used to play with a guy just like him. Did you know Core didn't start playing basketball again until he was 18? He took a break from fifth grade until the age of 18. I think I did know that just in like looking that up about him once they were, you know, once they were looking at him in the portal. Like, so Uh, did I temporarily forget about that? Yes, absolutely. This is a great point. He played football Mm -hmm. throughout that time. Um, yep. and my AAU team used to have a six eight, six nine African dude, skinny and long, played football, and then came over to basketball and just like took some time to get him adjusted to the game. Like Shoddy never became a good player, but he became all right. You can put him on the floor five minutes at a time, mm-hmm. and he'll block some shots for you. Uh, the problem is he never drank water, so like we'd ask him, "Why are you like?" so out of shape like you're sk- you're not fat and you say you play football like how come we can't keep you on the floor long he's like i don't drink water i drink juice <laughs> well what juice do you drink <laughs> he said he drank tampico and tampico is not juice like it's just not good for you i don't know what tampico is it's its own category of drink like tampico is just the worst thing for your health that's not named liquor you know like just the worst drink for you besides an energy drink and liquor um, I love these stories. But, yeah, so, like, for Core to be coming – just be coming back from uh, to basketball, I'm starting to understand him a little more. And it's just validating my reasons of, no, you got to scale him back some and teach him a little more. And it's also fueling my fire 
to want to see Emmanuel Capomo more than mm-hmm. I want to see Corey Onkic. Yeah. Yeah. A um, couple more questions here from the alscoop.com basketball message board from our subscribers. The next question here, the screen name is Melly, a longtime subscriber. Thank you, Melly, for submitting a question. Question is here, will Taj Thweet ever see the court? Is he even eligible or does the NCAA have that decision in a hermetically sealed envelope? They've been keeping in a mayonnaise jar on Funk and Wagnall's porch since noon seven weeks ago. There's some great, uh, great references there. I don't, we have not, we have not asked for an update on Taj. Like we were told that he's pursuing a waiver. I don't know where that, I don't know where that stands at this point. I'll throw my own personal opinion in here. I, I get the sense that, you know, Taj is a competitor. Taj wants to play, that he was pursuing the waiver. I think Taj needs to sit this year. He had two seasons at West Virginia where he was hoping to play there. It didn't work out. Then he goes from West Virginia to Coastal for a semester. Obviously didn't play ball there. It was last spring. I think Taj needs a full season under his belt to get settled, get himself settled, get settled to being back home get settled with the program because honestly, uh, and again, I don't know. I don't know if he, if his waiver was approved. I know what Melly's referring to here. Anytime you appeal uh, or you're waiting on a decision from the NCAA, who knows when it's ever going to be made. I'd, I'd want Taj to sit out this year. If I'm the staff, find his role, practice with the team. I, I don't want to make, I don't want to make Temple out to be this undefeated team here and say, where are the minutes going to come from? He could give them some, that's a valid question, though, John. We like we see him practice, and we've seen him play at the college level. Mm-hmm. Like we know who Taj is, and Jalil describes it himself. Like Jalil was always the basketball player, mm-hmm. and Taj was always the athlete. Like, I mean, do you think there are minutes for him on this team, or no? I don't. I don't think there are right now. Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, like, why? So, whether he ends up, I don't like. Why waste a year on him? And I, I I hate to sound so harsh, but like just keep. It's getting, not even harsh. It's just you're talking basketball. Keep getting the feet. best interest of Taj. Keep getting your footing under you. I just don't know where he fits in. And again, that's not to say. I mean, like Jaleel White, his close friend, could be playing better basketball right now. But like, there's not. I, I again, I'm saying this about a four and four team. There's not a huge need for him right now. There will be a bigger need for him next year. I think he just needs to continue to 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 get settled as a person and a basketball player on this. So I don't have the exact answer. If he has received word from the NCAA for all I know he has certainly something we can follow up on this weekend, but I don't see, you know, will Taj ever see the court? I'd be skeptical of him seeing the court this year. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, Next question here to close out the basketball mailbag before we uh, flip over to football to close things out. Uh, similar question. This is to you. Eighteen thirty four is the screen name. I'll add. Uh, just following up on that question, I'll add. Assuming they're both redshirting, is there any rhyme or reason as to as to when Deuce Roberts and Taj are dressed slash on the bench and not? Seems random so far. I know this isn't relevant at all to the team's performance, but I've been wondering nonetheless. Um, Aaron said recently that that Deuce went home. Called it what the freshman blues, right? Deuce got Deuce got hurt. And then he got sick, or is the other way around? Like he just had a, a string of bad luck. Yeah. And just stayed home for a couple of days. Yeah. Like he told him to stay home for a couple of days. And then he's back with the team. He warmed up yesterday. Not no, not yesterday, uh, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Sat on the bench. Boom, boom, boom. He's back at practice today. Like Deuce is back, but he just he just went through a little string of bad luck that Aaron called the freshman blues. Yeah. Then again, I think these are two. I know this isn't necessarily TU 1834's question here, but you're talking about two guys that they will need next year a lot more than they're going to need this year. Maybe Deuce Roberts is a diamond in the rough guy that they found. Again, they he looks good in practice. Like yeah. He looks good as the point guard in practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're hoping, again, they found like a, a guy that was hitting a stride at just the right time. But yes, he did. He did return home uh, for, for a little while. So, um, so that closes things out uh, for basketball, uh, for football, conference, pre uh, postseason honors, EJ Warner, American Athletic Conference Rookie of the Year. Nice honor for him. We know about um, we know about what he did. I guess we you know could recap the the ECU game here a little bit. A 49-46 loss and uh, the the numbers that EJ Warner put up. Um, Darian Varner, first team All Conference. 
Leighton Jordan, second team, all conference. We're heading into an off season now where it's, you're going to see the, the roster movement we've got, we'll have recruiting coverage for you coming up with the, the December early signing day coming up. Some of the guys that are announcing, uh, and again, I promise we'll get to a little bit of the, the ECU game here in a second, but uh, with the transfer portal departures, it's it's guys that we, I don't think any of them are uh, surprises. Although I thought that, I, I thought maybe at this time last year, I thought maybe with a new staff that Deshaun Winston might, might find his stride, but Deshaun Winston announced that he's hitting the portal. Onassis Neely, uh, a, a running back that has battled injuries since he's been at Temple, uh, is hitting the portal. Um, Iverson Clement, who we knew had, had not been with the had not been with the program, not been with the team, uh, he's hitting the portal. Uh, who am I forgetting about here? Who else announced that they're that they've hit the portal so far? Iverson Clement. Just a whole bunch of graduate guys and guys who weren't getting too much minutes. Devon Fox. Yeah, Devon Fox, we know, had 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 not been with uh uh had not been with the team. Uh and now they're they're starting to uh pursue some players in the transfer portal. Again, these are these are offers since today. Um Colorado State uh safety Taiwan Francis announced on Twitter, uh pretty good ball player, 88 tackles last season. Uh, 32 tackles in four games this season. He announced that he has a Temple offer. Uh, Temple also uh, extended extended an offer to uh, the son of former Rams great wideout Flipper Anderson, Seth Anderson, who plays at Charleston Southern. Uh, Temple's offered him out of the portal. He had 32 catches, 433 yards, and five touchdowns this season. Kind of an intriguing prospect there and so he's starting to get offers from temple james madison eastern michigan programs like that so gonna be a lot of recruiting movement transfer portal movement as uh, you know stan said after the game on saturday um you know i'm so excited to get this team to the off season and it's uh i'll ask you this javon um temple finishes three and nine I think you asked him the question, right? Didn't you ask Sam, like, hey, knowing, and I'm probably butchering your question here. Didn't you say something to him, like, knowing you probably could have been like a five or six win team this year? How do you feel about your team's development? You were the guy that asked that question, right? Didn't you kind of throw that out there to him? Because they could have been, right? I mean, they could have, the Rutgers game was winnable. You lose to Rutgers 16 to 14. You, 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 I know it was an 11 point loss. I think they could have beaten Tulsa. You lose to Navy in overtime. And then of course, you know, Saturday was a winnable game. You lose 49, 46, you lose that, you lose that lead bit of a heartbreaking game. I think, is it, is it a big deal if they're six and six and go to a bowl game? Absolutely. But I think six wins will be masking the fair amount of rebuilding that they still need to do. But um, you would ask Stan that right about like, how, how do you feel about the team's development considering you were, couple plays away from being a five or six win team yeah like i asked them that like you were four plays away from being Mm -hmm. seven and five this season like how do you as a first year coach like look at that with some positives and also not get so caught up on that and just say you know on to the next season and like stan's answer was pretty much perfect it's like i'll i'll answer it with this phrase right here i cannot wait to get these guys into the offseason he seems so eager the goal to work with this team because he sees the potential in his guys. And I mean, like you said, it would have messed up a lot. And, you know, the bowl game that they would have gone to if those four plays go their way probably wouldn't have been the best result for Temple. Mm-hmm. But still, Stan would have said he was seven and five in his first season yeah. and coached, coached the team to overachieve. Yeah. And then what you would be saying is, Okay, now imagine when this guy gets some ball players in here, what Temple mm-hmm. can be. Uh, so it was, it was kind of a, a blessing in disguise, but Stan's eager to go to work, and, and he's got every reason to. I mean, you got a quarterback who, as a freshman, is proven. I, I'm not, not even to sound like a hot take. EJ has proven he's going to go down as the best quarterback in Temple history. Like, oh, oh, at least that's what his numbers say. Like, his numbers say this guy is going to re- end his four years maybe three, as the best quarterback in Temple history. Um, and then you got a guy like Darian Varner who's still going to be around. Jordan McGee, 
Alex Odom. When Stan starts to get some more ball players in here, I, I'm I'm excited to see you know where the program goes. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just to you know, by now, if you again, if you listen to this podcast and you're a knowledgeable Temple football fan, you know about the the numbers that EJ Warner put up: forty five of sixty three passing, five hundred twenty seven yards, five touchdowns. He set single game passing marks, the 527 yards, the 45 completions. Yeah, he's again, I think if you're a Temple fan, if you're a part of that coaching staff, you're obviously excited about the fact that EJ Warner now has a full college offseason to get in a weight room, spring ball. And again, we're 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 cognizant of the fact that like an offseason doesn't mean that EJ Warner is gonna like well, I mean, I guess who do how do we really know truly? But EJ Warner is not gonna, you know, grow three inches in the offseason to be six two and be your your prototypical quarterback size. But you can see the poise, the preparation, you know, the numbers, the numbers at the end of the day, and it looks like Temple has uh, a lot to be excited about there. That the ironic thing about Saturday's game, of course, is that Stan had been aggressive all season. And then they were poised to go for it on fourth down late in the game. ECU calls a timeout, and somewhere during that timeout, Stan changed his mind, and they punt. And then Holt Nailers comes down, and um, on you know uh, what I think Jordan McGee saw as a, a, a busted play, um, you know, and uh, like a scramble drill, thirty-eight yard touchdown pass to Jalen Johnson, and that's what that's what broke their back. So certainly a a heartbreaker for Temple. And you heard me in the press box, like I was telling you, punting this is a bad idea. Yeah. It's fourth and one at the 50. Mm-hmm. And you're up by what, four at that point? Uh, uh, yeah, they were up 46 42. Yeah. yeah, they were up four at that point. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you got to You got to go for it here. Try to at least get a field goal on this drive. And well, you see how it turned out. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had to get you and your, your blown out back down to the down to the pressure room afterwards i pulled out back yes i had a strain back that i was dealing with over the weekend i, I think it was because and I, and I love her to pieces one of our one of our three dogs uh carly she's a half lab half german shepherd and was dealing with like either hip pain or leg pain and and let her out saturday and i thought she wanted to go for a walk and she walked like 10 steps out in the front yard and just stood there and was not going anywhere. I was like, Carly, we got to get back in the house. We have things to eat. We have movies to watch. We have Thanksgiving to enjoy. Love her, but she was just not moving. So I had to pretty much deadlift a, a 60 pound dog and carry her to the backyard. And that probably caught up with me a couple of days later. So yeah, when I was uh when I was walking in the press box, I got a damn John, what's wrong with you from, from, from Javon? So, and pretty much any, that's one of the worst things when you strain your back, it's the walking and everybody's like staring at you and they're looking at you as if to be like, what's this guy's deal? Is he <laughs> like, he should in, he even be here? Is he in pain? Is he disoriented? What's his deal? But I survived nonetheless, persevered to, cover a college football game in front of uh, a little bit more than 13,000 fans two days after Thanksgiving. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, I think if you are, if you're a Temple football fan, I think you can look at, and I completely stole this from you, Javon, like, you know, you, we were sitting in the press box and you said, you know, this, this year's three and nine feels a lot different, obviously than last year's three and nine when things were, you know, it, it was apparent that a coaching change was imminent with Rod Carey. Yes, it's not to not to let Temple off the hook for the games they lost this lost this year. They could have beaten Rutgers. Certainly could have won Saturday. We've been over that, but and they're one and seven in the conference. But we know where they need to tighten things up. But I think that you know players like EJ Warner, Jordan McGee. There's some guys on both sides of the ball that 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 if you're a Temple fan, give you reason for hope. We will see what happens with Leighton Jordan. I cannot get a read either way if he's going to be back or not. I you know, if he declares for the draft, you you'd rather see him declare for the draft and lose him in the portal. We'll see. Uh, again, if you're looking ahead to the future, and again, Stan said, I can't wait to get to get this team to the offseason. We'll see what happens recruiting wise between uh now and the third week of of December with with signing day. But as of now, Temple has 18 verbal commitments. Uh, 
uh, half the amount of offensive linemen, Luke Watson from uh, from Delaware, Cole Skinner from Point Pleasant Borough High School up in North Jersey, Eric King, Kevin Terry. You know, we'll, we'll have you covered for recruiting coverage. We'll, we'll be following up with a lot of these guys. And, uh, you know, the, the positions that you're eyeing up, whether, like I said, whether it's offensive line, running back, where they obviously need help, you know, keeping an eye on Kyle Williams from Harrisburg High School, uh, Jaquest Smith uh, down in Florida, uh, some wide receivers to look at, Nathan Stewart in Maryland, Richard Dandridge down in Miami, uh, bringing in a quarterback in Tyler Douglas. I, I, I feel like we get this question Several times from readers, why would Tyler Douglas want to come to Temple if EJ Warner's there? It's a year-by-year existence. Still got to see if EJ Warner keeps progressing. Tyler Douglas can throw it, can run it. He was dealing with, I think, an AC joint thing at the end of the season at Ocean Township High School, which, of course, produced Kenny Pickett. But got a quarterback in that class. We'll see what they do in the portal. So uh, a lot to keep our eye on with football in the coming weeks. We do have one more football mailbag question to Close things out here. This is from the football uh, football message board. The screen name is Temple J. If college football playoff expansion goes through, would this not provide Temple a much more attainable path to a national title? One of the 12 teams, as one of the 12 teams, the six conference champions, than say a Rutgers or a Wisconsin or a Georgia Tech? Short answer to that is, yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it, ironically enough, if Temple is in the American, stays in the American, and they win the American, yeah, they get in over, I mean, if, if Rutgers can get out of its own way, I don't even know if they're, I mean, I, things are not going well there under Greg Schiano, and they certainly can't find a a quarterback. Luke Fickle's going to be going to Wisconsin, Georgia Tech. Yeah, it does. It gives Temple a more attainable path. <laughs> I don't think there's an attainable path to a national title. I, if Temple, look, if Temple gets into the college football playoffs, huge, huge, huge boost to the program, exciting times. But you see how hard it is to make a dent. Look at how good Cincinnati was last year. And, uh, you know, there was only so far they could go with really, really good players. But, yes, it's ironically enough, yes, if the if the if expansion goes through, yes, it would provide Temple a more attainable path. I would say it provides them for a more attainable path to getting into the field. I think once they get there, you're going to see the, the 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 really elite teams separate themselves. But, yeah, I don't know how else to answer that and like, answer is a clear yes sure it gives them a more attainable path to path to a national championship but they would have to be really good and if temple wins a national championship in football someone's making a movie out of it andy carl and the guys at the tough fund would have to come up with so much money to get temple a roster that can (laughs) win what you'd have to win three games to win a national championship if you're not a top four seed yeah um if you directed If you directed the movie, if Temple wins a, a national championship in college football, you're directing the movie. Who do you cast in the movie? Oh, man. Well, I'm, I guess we're assuming with the, the cast of characters that Temple has now. Yeah, let's go with that. <sighs> All right. Um, let's close the I, close up the podcast on this note with me putting you on the spot. But you're good on the spot, though. This is when you yeah. do the best work. So I think I'm going to ask Denzel to lose some weight and oh. and be shorter. Stan. Actually, no, I won't even ask him to be Stan. He's too tall to be Stan, right? I'll let Denzel be exactly what he is now and be Everett. I like that. I like that. I'll let Denzel chief, be Everett. He's the chief of staff. He's the chief of staff and he's in the background. I like that. I like that. So you're doing good work already. I think. I don't. I don't know who I'm casting as Stan. I know, right? You know what? Kevin Hart wants to be a serious actor these days. I love it. I love it. Let Let's put Kev as Stan Drayton. They're about we'll well, Kevin him, Hart is shorter. I, I what do we? How we'll give him like those Stan shoes is. that Stan's probably like five seven five eight. Maybe give him five nine. Five nine. Yeah. It will give Kevin those shoes that like add a couple inches to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh who do I want as EJ? See, I'm not in tune with like who the young short actors are now. Yeah. I don't really need a short actor for EJ. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think we got a good start with with Denzel and, and Kevin Hart. I mean, that would be incredible. Yeah. That's a that's a great question. I'm probably going to like 
try to scheme that up over the weekend. Kurt Warner as himself. Maybe Kurt Warner says, all right, we had the movie made about me. I was not in it. I don't think he was in it, right? This time, Kurt Warner plays himself. Okay. Who's the guy who played Herman Boone's assistant in Remember the Titans? The guy who played Denzel's assistant? Because I want him to be Antoine Smith. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, because I have been teasing our interns this week a fair amount, Johnny Zwizlak, Liam Gianelli, love you both. You guys have atrocious takes on, on Christmas movies. And I'm getting to a point with this. My point is, and just let me finish this out, and I'm going to do a little bit of like trying to put myself in a protective cocoon here to protect my own flaws. I've never seen Remember the Titans. So I know. I know. And I told you those have homework guys, this weekend. I know. I've told those guys there are some key movies that I haven't seen. And that's one of them. It's a huge one. But we're sitting there before the game on Saturday. As you know, we're waiting. We're bored before the opening kickoff. Yes, we're getting our work done, but we're just shooting the breeze. I said, guys, give me your top five Christmas movies. And Johnny, it's one thing to have never seen Christmas Vacation. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but he literally had never heard of it. He had not heard of it. And I was like, how did you ever just turn on a TV? And in the last, you know, 18, 19 years of your life, he just hadn't heard of it. And then Liam, who's his roommate, comes over and they sound like an old married couple. They're roommates, college roommates at Temple. Like, don't worry, we'll watch some Christmas movies tonight. And then Johnny puts his little Twitter takes and Says the movie was a little overrated. I mean, it made me laugh. He's like, at the end of the day, I'm glad Clark got his Christmas bonus. I don't get the, I don't get the, the plot, the storyline about the neighbors. I'm like, you're, you're taking a shot at Julie Louis Dreyfus, who's one of the greatest actresses of our generation. I mean, like, I was just, I mean, like, have your opinions on the movie, but he had literally never heard of it. But I'm acknowledging my own flaws in the sense that I have never seen Remember the Titans, so I've heard of it but I haven't seen it. So I'm sort so of sticking up if, for you, Johnny. And I'm also trying to weasel my way out of my own shortcomings here. If you need my Disney plus login, you can have, I have Disney it, plus. It's just, it's you on can, me. It's on me. You I cannot come to work Monday. You, you cannot come to work Monday without having watched. Remember the Titans. Johnny. I'm not going to lie. It's probably not going to happen. I got, we got a busy day tomorrow. We got a game to cover. I got Christmas decorating to do. I got to go help my mom decorate the house sunday out in downing town i got an eagles game to watch probably not going to happen by monday maybe by the time we record next by the time we record week. next week yeah you have homework by the time we record next week you have to watch remember the titans and i hate to put stuff on your busy plate but like this oh. one's kind of unacceptable but prepare to be disappointed. I can't. I've got some grading to finish up for my class. See, I'm already trying to weasel out. It's not that I don't want to watch it. I'm just, I'm not optimistic that I'm going to watch it by next Wednesday, but we'll see. As long as you try. That, that, that's all that matters. Yes. Also, um, while we're killing Liam and Johnny, their intramural basketball team stinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you can check out the Twitter thread. It's all over my page. It's all over Caden's page. It's all over their pages. Yeah, they need help. Like, it's so bad that they're bringing me out of coaching retirement. Yeah. they Well, they're a low-comp intramural team. But I also think that you guys you guys went into that game last night ready to pounce because, as you know, so I teach, you know, I, I, teach, a, a, I teach a sports writing class at Temple, so I'm finishing up the last class of the semester. Caden and, and Hayden, nice little rhyming combo there, they come up to visit my class. I explained to them that I got to leave in a few minutes to go talk at George Miller's sports photography class, tell the students there about our sports media certificate program that's really growing with the help of Claire Smith and Mark Zumoff and the, and the great administration at Temple with Dean Boardman, with David Boardman, and I'm telling them about that. And they're already going in on, on Liam and Johnny in their intramural game. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go. And and I, I <laughs> Caden shows up wearing, wearing a black knit cap, and I said, you look like – what did I say? I was like, you look like you could be one of the, you look like you could be one of the wet bandits that didn't that like miss the casting call for, for home alone. And then Declan or either Declan or Max said, you just called him Marv, which made me laugh, but, but they were, they were, they were ripe heading into the game. I feel like they were ready to pounce and like they, they knew that they wanted to go into that game, making fun of those guys. And they actually did a post game video uh, about the game. So <laughs> 
Max interviewed Johnny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Caden was on one all night long. I mean, yeah. like Caden looked like a skateboarder who was up to no good. But mm-hmm. in reality, he was a reporter who mm-hmm. was up to no good. And he had his mm-hmm. inquiry gear on, too. And yeah. like he, he let out a tweet. Mm-hmm. Like he was actually covering the game. Yes. Listen, John, yes. when I tell you I was in my room in tears last night off of that thread, like, oh, my goodness, that was hilarious. Yes, it was making me laugh. Uh, oh, one bit of news. I just just saw this right before we close out. Jalen McMurray, second team, All-American Athletic Conference team uh, by Pro Football Focus. So another little postseason award for the Owls there. So uh, we'll have more for you next week. Um, any recruiting news that breaks? more basketball news to talk about. We'll have, um, heck, by this point next week. I mean, one thing that we didn't mention, just to close things out here, I mean, I don't want to jinx Temple, but they could, uh, I mean, the the path is is clear now for them to win their first Big Five title since, what, 2012? You know, they got to beat, they got to beat, they've already beaten, they've already beaten Nova, They've already beaten LaSalle. So if Temple beats St. Joe's next Tuesday and Penn next Saturday, yep, since the 2012-2013 season when they shared it with LaSalle. So, you know, obviously Nova's dominated, you know, the Big Five landscape. They've won seven of the last eight Big Five titles. There wasn't one in 2020. So um, so by this time next week, we'll be talking about, uh, you know, the St. Joe's game next Tuesday, previewing the Penn game. So we'll have more hoops coverage, more football coverage. Thanks for listening for another week. Thanks for listening to our movie takes and football takes. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.